Sean, would you come and share from God's word this morning? Thanks for being here. Good to be here, man. How y'all doing? Good. It's good to be back here at Providence Church. Um, thanks, Chris, for, for allowing me to be here and sharing about the church plant. God's, up, God's on mission. He's up to things. And before I just get into the message, one of the things I've, I feel fundamentally, uh, especially when I read the book of Acts, is that God is on mission to redeem his people to Jesus Christ. And he does that by planting more churches. And when I confronted myself with that truth, I'm like, oh, wait, am I the guy to go plant a church, you know? And uh, by God's grace, um, starting on October 28th, this month, just a couple weeks from now, we will begin to meet as a church plant. And that is all God's work. And so myself and others who are part of this launch team, we're, we're excited to be on mission uh, to advance the gospel in in the Des Moines area. And I'm, and I'm excited um, that I get to do that uh, in closer driving distance to Providence Community Church. So I was talking with Chris last night. I'm like, I'm already trying to get all, everyone, all the elders from Providence up to preach at, you know, Redemption Hill Church. So I'm making my, my, I'm playing my cards and I'm making my move to get them up there. Now, well, if you have your Bible, uh, you can open up to the book of Leviticus. Yes, you heard me correctly. The book of Leviticus. Um, now is a good time to remember Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. <laughs> Sometimes we need we need to place that reminder in front of us, especially when we get into Leviticus, right? I'm, if you've ever done the, your Bible study and you go through every book of the Bible, you get to Leviticus and you're like, what is going on here? We got another rule, we got another command, we got another law. But I, I want to show this morning how Leviticus applies to us today, and in particular, two verses, one particular command applies to us today. So we're going to be in Leviticus 19. That'll be 33 and 34. Here, here's the text. Here's God's word to us this morning. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God this is the word of the Lord let's pray and let's let's dive in to the riches of God's word father this morning you are at work in providence community church in, in the saints of providence community church it's clear during worship. It's clear just walking into the lobby that you are on mission right here. And so we want to see how Leviticus applies to us, how this passage makes much of Jesus as we care for people with the love of Christ who are all around us. And so we, we need your help. We need to get our minds around what you are saying and what you are calling us to become and to do. And that is to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, it is 
It is you who takes the words on this page and implants it upon our heart. So come and have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In the time between leaving Sovereign Grace Church and preparing to launch Redemption Hill Church, I have been able to visit various churches in the Des Moines area. So kind of in this in-between stage, kind of left and I'm waiting. Uh, I want to tell you about a couple of my experiences as I visited various churches in the Des Moines metro. The first church was planted only two years ago. Uh, it was a vibrant church. It, w- it was clear that every member of this particular church loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment, the moment I walked into this church, I was greeted with a handshake and a smile. Um, they didn't know me, and it didn't matter. They were just thrilled that I took time to come to their church where they knew I was going to hear the gospel proclaimed and I was going to see the gospel displayed. I would recommend anyone to go to that church that's located in downtown Des Moines. I was so grateful for the experience that myself and my family went back to that church the following week. We were so blessed by the hospitality that they displayed toward us. It was a good experience. Needless to say, I had a different experience at this second church. Uh, the second church had its own building. It's clear that it had been around for, for quite a while, uh, maybe about 15 years, if I remember correctly. Um, and as I walked into the doors, I was, I, I say here greeted, it's not really greeted, I was greeted by two guys who were talking over my head. They didn't even acknowledge me. I was like a ghost. Walked in as a ghost into the foyer where I remained a ghost, and then to the last seat of the right side of the sanctuary where I continued to be a ghost to all these people. They literally had no idea I was there. I, was, I felt alone and unwelcomed. A- after visiting the second church, I reflected with my wife, Charisse, about the differences between the first church that I visited and the second church that I just spoke to you about. And it was this. This is what I saw, that a fundamental difference. This first church had a category for biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality. Where, where it felt like the second church didn't have that category. Or at least I didn't see that category on display. And so I, I give you those examples because that's where we're landing this morning when we look at Leviticus 19. I, I want to show that hospitality is an expression of the gospel, and it's also an act of holiness. You can see from like the sermon title, the holiness of hospitality. If I'm saying that hospitality, as it's defined in the scriptures, is a holy act, we need to first understand what is, what is holiness. Why does this land in Leviticus and amidst all these rules and regulations and laws? So that might seem an odd connection because we often associate holiness with what? Fighting sin and becoming more sanctified. That is to say, disciples of Jesus Christ fight remaining sin. So we say no. And that is correct. That is absolutely correct. If you desire to live a holy life, God requires you to say no to sin. But living a holy life before God and before one another 
also requires you to say yes. Say yes to God's commands. And as it pertains to today's message, we need to say yes to loving the strangers who live among us. And it's this biblical statement that I want to tease out and focus in on. So I'm going to spend a moment talking about holiness and its connection to the cross of Jesus Christ and then spend the majority of my time looking at Leviticus 19 and its connection to the New Testament and what the New Testament calls hospitality. So if you read all of Leviticus 19, you will see that the context of verses 33 and 34, it's all about holiness. Chapter 19 in the entire book of Leviticus is summed up with the word holiness. The book of Leviticus is about the holiness of God and God calling his people to be holy as well. In a sense, the book of Leviticus is kind of this how-to book. How do I be holy? Leviticus 11.44 says this, For I am the Lord your God, he's talking to Israel, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And the theological theme of holiness is stated again in the chapter we're in this morning, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation and to the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord, your God am holy. And then just quickly we get to the New Testament, we see this affirmed. First Peter 1, 14 and 16, As obedient children, Peter says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be like what you used to be. You've been saved by the grace of God, but he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, as Peter quoting Leviticus, Peter knew his Bible, even Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. At the very least, we can say that holiness is the theological thread that begins in the Pentateuch. It runs throughout scripture. So what is holiness? mean what is holiness was god's holiness and our holiness how do they connect one commentator says it like this god's holiness means that he is different other than and that he is unique and that he is perfectly righteous god calls us to be different other than and that we live Righteously. Just as God is utterly different, we are called to be utterly different. And we are called to be different by taking on specific attributes of God. To say it from a new covenant perspective, followers of God are called to be Christ like or to be little Christ. Jonathan Edwards, another quote for you the eminent pastor and theologian from the 18th century said this about holiness which still applies today. Holiness is a most beautiful and loving thing. But we drink in strange notions of holiness from our childhood as if it were melancholy, morose, sour, and unpleasant thing. But there's nothing in it but what is sweet and lovely. So what Edwards is saying is that when we read the book of Leviticus, and in particular chapter 19, we need to see the grandeur of God's holiness along with the sweetness of pursuing holiness so that we can become more God-like. 
God gave Israel the law so they would be other than and holy. This is what we know about Israel in the Old Testament, right? This is what we know about ourselves. God called Israel to obey and be holy. And of course, Israel regularly, regularly disobeyed God by not following the law time and again. And here lies the problem of pursuing holiness. Israel could not live up to the law and deserve to be condemned. We cannot live up to the standard and deserve condemnation. Therefore, in the fullness of time, God the Father sent God the Son to provide a way for His people to be reconciled to a holy God. God the Son was sent so that His people would be made righteous. And becoming holy and pursuing holiness is only possible through believing in the crucified and resurrected Christ. These prophetic words this morning were were just powerful because they're all about the gospel. If you're asking what does hospitality and holiness have to do in being connected to one another, it's all about the gospel. Without Christ, a person is debilitated by their sin. Without Christ, there is no possibility of living in a way that honors a holy, sinless, other than God. But when God gives a person faith and he repent of sin and turn to Jesus as their all-satisfying joy, a dead heart is made alive by the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is granted. A soul is purchased. Eternal life is ahead. A sinner is made righteous. And a sinner all of a sudden becomes other than just like God. That's what we're called into. When a sinner is redeemed by the blood of Jesus, a person standing before God is immediately changed and progressively we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 Being made holy happened at the moment you were saved and being made holy continues to happen as saved sinners in the power of the Holy Spirit pursue God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, our pursuit of holiness is the theological foundation of biblical hospitality. That is the foundation in which we Begin. That's what Leviticus provides for us. Do you want to become more holy? Do you want to become more like Jesus? Then we stick our noses in Leviticus. The command that we read in verses 33 and 34 presents us with an interesting juxtaposition. On the one hand, pursuing holiness means Israel, and now the church, is separate and other than from the world, like I've said. At the same time, Israel and now the church is supposed to be the most loving and hospitable people, which includes extending love and hospitality to strangers. Let me, let me read verses 33 and 34 and listen to what it looks like to be holy and other than. So now that we got the foundation laid, let's read those verses again. When, when a stranger sojourns with you in the land, you should not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What God is saying here is fascinating. Our holiness is connected to how we treat others. How we care for others. How we love others. The, the plain reading of verses 33 and 34 appears to be straightforward. God calls his people to care for strangers. 
But who are the strangers among us? The Hebrew word for stranger gives us a lot of clarity. A stranger, verse 33, is a temporary occupant or a newcomer to a community who lacks inherited rights. That's the most literal definition of stranger in the Hebrew, at least right here. This is how Israel would have understood stranger. When I preach this at Sovereign Grace, I, I pause, and I'll pause right here to make this clarifying statement. It, it doesn't take a genius to figure out where I could be heading. Uh, what it looks like to or to not care for newcomers in a community who lacks inherit, inherited rights. So I want to make this very clear. I'm not getting into politics. Don't care for the politics. A lot of those arguments go over my head. I'm, I've got a dense brain. I asked my wife, what's going on politically? Sort it out for me. It's not about politics. But God's word, I think, it's clear. It's not complicated here. In the negative, God says, do not do wrong to the stranger among you, verse 33. In the positive, we read in verse 34 that God's people are to care for strangers as if they are their very own son, daughter, brother, or sister. The English Standard Version rightly translates that we are to care for the stranger as if they are native-born living among us. There are huge implications right there. Which means if there is a stranger sojourning among you, it does not matter if he or she is legal or illegal citizen. You are called by God to love him or her as yourself. You are called to love that person as if they were a part of your very family. Think about your kids, if if your parents. They're native born right there with you. Church, if you want to know what it looks like to be different or other than from the world, Love people who feel like physical and spiritual strangers in your community. When you love the strangers as yourself, the gospel of Jesus Christ is on display. And what's interesting about the historical context of Leviticus 19, 33-34 is that the call to care and love strangers is also a call to care and love people who do not identify with the faith that Israel had. This, when I was going through the Hebrew, this just absolutely blew my mind. A person sojourning into the presence of Israel would not have been a person who believed in Yahweh. They would have been straight up idolater. Which means Israel was called to be a holy influence on these sojourners. Israel, now us, is to display the love of God with the hope to win over the sojourning stranger. Now, there is a difference between influencing and being influenced. At every corner of the Bible, where God's people are influenced by sin and the surrounding culture, God condemns. For example, if you turn the page from Leviticus 19 to Leviticus 20, that is what you're going to read. Guys, stop doing this. The The world is influencing you. You got this backwards. 
Israel is called to consecrate itself from the world. But to be consecrated from the world does not mean isolation. God's people are called to demonstrate God's good and loving nature by being an influence to those who come into their midst. Why is Israel supposed to care for the stranger in such an intimate way? Answer? Because that's what God did for Israel. It's right in our text. Israel is called to love the stranger in part because that is what they were in Egypt. God wants them and us to remember. The clear call to remember is verse 34. For you guys were strangers in the land of Egypt. You remember? Remember what I did for you? Kind of parted the Red Sea. Hello? No water? Rock? Come on, guys, remember. You were strangers. I took care of you. It's like God is telling his people, just as I cared and provided for you while you were slaves and strangers in Egypt, so you must also care for the stranger in your midst. What God is asking Israel to do is nothing different than what he had already done for them and what he continues to do for his people. Here's what I find remarkable about this particular command, especially as it's laid out in the context of God caring for Israel. When God gives this command, they weren't even in the promised land yet. They were actually parked out at Mount Sinai. So as they were wandering and they were strangers, God is still telling them, guys, you still need to care for the people who come into your midst, these sojourners. You don't need a home in order to care for people. It doesn't matter. You're still called to pursue holiness by loving them. And caring for strangers and pursuing holiness was never, and is still not, based on nationality, skin color, economic status, or geography. The gospel of Jesus Christ cuts the legs out of selecting who we are called to care for. That's the beauty of the gospel. I pastor in Des Moines. Let's just say it's very white. Right? It is. It's statistically 98% of Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. I know. But it doesn't matter. You could put me downtown Kansas City, Africa, wherever, where demographics are entirely different. It doesn't matter. I'm still called to love and care. Whoever comes into my midst, that's the command. That's the command God gives us to extend hospitality. The the New Testament carries this command forward and gives it the name that I've already been saying, hospitality. And in the New Testament, we see that loving others through hospitality becomes broader than what I've shared so far from Leviticus 19. We see at least three groupings, at least in the New Testament, where hospitality is extended. Here they are. We extend hospitality to one another in church. That's 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 9. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So when Chris visits Des Moines, I'm not going to be like, oh, Chris is coming. What am I going to do? It's the opposite. Chris is coming. What am I going to do? We don't grumble. We, we joyfully extend hospitality. So that's one context that the New Testament gives 
as it carries Leviticus 19 forward. Also in 3 John 5, uh, verses 5 and 8, seems to indicate we should extend hospitality to those who go on mission and come back, like on furlough. Today we've contextualized this as those who do foreign missions. So when, when churches send out missionaries and those missionaries come back, we care for them. And third, more to the point for today's sermon, we demonstrate hospitality to strangers. Here's Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That's such a cool passage. Once again, the New Testament is picking up on the language found in Leviticus 19. I have several thoughts about how this passage connects with the Old Testament, including today's passage. The statement that some have entertained angels unaware is a reference to when Abraham and Lot demonstrated to hospitality to strangers in their midst. These strangers ended up being angels. Wouldn't that be cool? You extend hospitality, you don't know them all of a sudden, boom, angels. What? That'd be awesome. Not expecting it, but that would be awesome. Abraham and Lot had no idea who they were caring for, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Abraham and Lot extended biblical hospitality without knowing who they were extending it to, and that's the point. At times, the idea of extending hospitality to a stranger, just just the definition of stranger, assumes you don't know who you are extending it to. More to the point, the author of Hebrews is doing a play on words here. Here's how. The Greek word that is often translated into the English term hospitality in verse 2 is a combination of two Greek concepts. The first is phileo. You might be familiar if you've taken any Greek at all. You know that phileo is one of the words in Greek for love. Um, This word for love generally means brotherly love. Think um, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, for example. The same Root for hospitality in verse 2 is also in verse 1, let brotherly love continue. So the author of Hebrews, picking up on the theme of Leviticus 19, is calling us to send the love of God to others. Why do I say this? The second part of the Greek word for hospitality literally means stranger or immigrant. So Paul took two Greek words to come up with one word for hospitality. Love the stranger or the immigrant. This crystallizes the connection between the command in Leviticus 19 and our responsibility as a church to love the stranger in our midst. Again, I have zero intention of being political. None. Don't care about the politics. Because no matter the system of government you find yourself in, no matter who you voted for, regardless of the generation that you're a part of, loving the stranger is the fabric of the church. It's who we are. It's how the gospel goes forth. We extend hospitality to the stranger. While I was preparing this sermon to preach at Sovereign Grace Church, um, an example about caring for strangers just like landed in my lap. It was like a a pastor's dream. Here's what happened. While I was still living and pastoring in Minnesota and preparing to plant Redemption Hill Church, I was connecting with various folks throughout the Des Moines metro. Um, 
over the course of several weeks, I was actually in communication with, um, these names are fictitious, I replaced them, with Tim and Ann. They live in Des Moines right now. Uh, Tim and Ann connected with me because they were interested in the church plant, um, the plant that I'm leading. Tim and Ann were members of a Sovereign Grace church in Arizona before moving back to the motherland, Iowa, several years ago. Well, I told Tim and Ann in an email that myself and several guys are going to make a quick trip to Des Moines for a few meetings. And though we had never met face-to-face, they opened up their home and lives to us. Never met them. Just a couple emails. Here's an expert... Here's a small section of her email when she realized we would arrive in Des Moines while they were going to be at work. This is Anne. Sounds great, Sean. There's a possibility we won't be here when you drop your things off, but that's okay. The front door will be open, which is such an Iowa thing. (laughs) Truly. My wife's still adjusting. She's not from Iowa. Like, you you can leave the front door open, honey. It's all good. Feel free to make yourself at home. There will be a room with two twin beds for the two guys and one room with a king bed. I figure you guys can fight among yourselves as to who goes where. And this is what she says. I imagine the lead pastor has its perks. (laughs) So the king bed is yours. I, I, I read this to the guys that were with me. I will make sure that there are some snacks on the counter and there is soda and water in the fridge. Uh, Tim and Ann are a little bit older than me. They're actually grandparents. Um, Tim is disabled and has a rare disease that I cannot explain. Um, At this point in the story, I can stop and say, look at their examples as followers of Jesus Christ who loved strangers. It's a great example. But there's more to this remarkable story. Here's how. Due to extra local work for Sovereign Grace Churches, I turned in late the night that I was staying with Tim and Ann. And right before I went to bed, I learned from one of the guys who was with me that Tim and Ann were sleeping downstairs. I just kind of thought that's where their bedroom was. No. One person was on the couch, and the other was on a cot. And they gave up their comfort, their king-sized bed, so that I could sleep on it. I went to bed crying. It was remarkable. As a stranger, I was a direct recipient of the love of Christ through biblical hospitality. Here's the definition of biblical hospitality that I saw on display. I read this in a very helpful book called The Simplest Way to Change the World. Biblical hospitality is the polar opposite of cultural trends to separate and isolate. It rejects the notion that life is is best spent fulfilling our own self-centered desires, bordered off from others in a private fortress we call homes. Biblical hospitality chooses to engage rather than unplug, open, rather than close, initiate, rather than sit idly. 
At the core, biblical hospitality is obeying God's command to love and welcome others into your areas of life that God has placed you in. It's Romans 15, 7, right? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Living on mission by extending hospitality is not only a pursuit of holiness, but it's emulating Christ. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you want, to become more like your Savior. Just think about it for a moment. In love, Christ welcomed us into his family. As spiritual sons and daughters, Christ extended hospitality to us when we were spiritual orphans. We were strangers in the eyes of God. More than strangers, we were enemies of God because of our sin. But now, Christian, but now, if you have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has made you his friend. If God has given you the faith to see the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have, been, you have received the greatest act of hospitality. You've been brought near to God, and he loves you. So, Christian... Just as God took you from being a stranger to being a native-born, so now we are to demonstrate that hospitality to other people. And so the question becomes, are we living out biblical hospitality? Are we pursuing holiness by extending hospitality to the stranger in our midst? Now, obeying this command has implications. And to be brutally honest, Obeying this command can have uncomfortable implications because doing this means you will be inconvenienced. You will be. And that's what we fight. Our own comforts, our own inconveniences for the cause of the gospel. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time is give several practical thoughts about what it looks like to care for the stranger in our midst. Here, here are three filters you can think out of when it comes to extending biblical hospitality. First filter is uh, extending hospitality in your home. Second is in your church, and then in your community. Just go through those systematically. First, in our homes. Our homes might be the greatest asset we have when it comes to extending hospitality to other people. Uh, John Piper calls us to be strategic in our hospitality to others. This is, what he, this is what he says. It's brilliant. Strategic hospitality asks, how can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? Strategic hospitality is not content to just have the old clan over for dinner again and again. It strategizes how to make the hospitality of God known and felt all over the world, from the lonely church member right here to the Gola farmers in Tan, Liberia. Don't ever underestimate the power of your living room as a launching pad for new life and hope and ministry and mission. So I'm not talking about using our homes for entertainment. 
For example, watching the Minnesota Vikings win the Super Bowl in 2019 with friends is great. Chiefs fans, it's coming. It's taking a few weeks. But what Piper is saying is that strategic and missional hospitality thinks on a different level. It's about inviting others around your dinner table with the purpose of discipleship and gospel advancement. One author says it like this, the secret weapon for gospel advancement is hospitality, and you can practice it whether you live in a house, an apartment, a dorm room, or a high-rise. You know, how we think about homes sometimes needs to change. As I went over this sermon, I was convicted about how I use my home and how I don't use my home. I got my, I got to talk to my wife about this because my sermons convicted me. In, in the ancient world, the home was a haven of hospitality. Today, we've created our homes to be a retreat from the world, a place to re- relax. So what I'm, what I'm not saying is that the home can't be a place to relax. We all need rest. That, that is clear. What I'm saying is that we need to move the needle from a place of personal retreat and relaxation to hospitality. We've got to move the needle. Our homes can be a tool used by God to extend grace to sinners who desperately need to hear the gospel. There are people all around us who need to see the gospel on display. Quickly, here's just one example of how this, how this happened at Sovereign Grace Church where I used to pastor. This member, Mitch Hagen, he organized something called the CARS ministry. CARS is basically a ministry that serves uh, single moms. So if they didn't have money, he would basically come bring your car to my house, into my garage, and I'm going to help fix it for you. And I'm, all you got to pay is for the parts. But here's the beauty of that particular ministry. They were strategically thinking about hospitality in their home. When those people come and drop off the car, they're not going anywhere. So they go inside where Becky's waiting, Mitch's wife, where she serves them a meal and talks to them about Jesus. Brilliant. That is Biblical and strategic hospitality on display in their home. Not, not everyone's going to have a cars ministry. Not everyone here can cook. I can't. I make macaroni look like a mess. But every disciple of Jesus Christ can think strategically about how to use their home to reach people with the gospel. Everyone. We need to heed Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. We've got to put it on our hearts. We've got to heed John Piper's advice to be strategic. So that's the first filter. Our home. Next one. The church. What does biblical hospitality look like in the church? Well, let me just say this. Many of you are members of this church because the love of Christ was extended to you through biblical hospitality. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. But there's more. There's more a church can do to extend hospitality. Last night I was talking to Chris about, you know, how's the transition? What's going on? What's coming up? He was talking to me about Fall Fiesta here at Providence Community Church. I'm like, that's awesome, Fall Fiesta. So my encouragement to you is to prioritize your time to attend Fall Fiesta in order to show hospitality to your community. So that's the challenge. The event's coming up. Now get involved. Extend hospitality. Show the love of Christ to those around you. It's not just the role of a welcome or hospitality team to extend love and care to strangers. It's a family affair. It's a church affair. If someone visits your church and does not stay, may it not be because you didn't love them well. 
Instead, may the love of Christ through your words and deeds compel strangers to come back so that they will continue to hear and see the gospel at this church. So last category, your community. Listen, the 21st century church has a unique opportunity to live out Leviticus 19, 33, and 34. And Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 for that matter. God, in his providence, has placed this building in this neighborhood and in this city. God, in his providence, has placed each of you in a job, a classroom, in a neighborhood. And there are hell-bound strangers all around you. Let that land on you. May your love for the gospel motivate you to reach them, to love them, to show them hospitality. You have an opportunity to invite new neighbors into your homes and into your church. We want to be a blessing to the individuals who live in our community. So as a church, be bold about opening your homes, your church, and your lives to the strangers around us. Remember what I said earlier, and then I will pray and be done. Because of God and Christ, hospitality has been extended to us. Because of God and Christ, we're no longer orphans, but spiritual sons and daughters. You've been brought near to God, and he loves you. So Christian, just as God took you from being a stranger to being a native-born, so now we are to demonstrate that same hospitality to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is consistent from Leviticus all the way to First Peter, from Genesis to Revelation. You show us who you are and our great need for you and in our need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we, I say we, I mean, all of us Christians here, all of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, think well about what you've done for us in Christ and what we're called to do in extending hospitality to others who are rebelling against you, but who need you. Their only hope in this world is Christ. And we have the great privilege and honor to be tools used in your hand for kingdom purposes. So may this be a church, continue to be a church that extends the love of Christ to others, to strangers, to those who are sojourning through biblical hospitality. May it be evident in the homes. May it be evident in this church. May it be evident at Fall Fiesta. May it be evident at people's jobs or in school. Oh God, what it would be like to be a people desperately love you, joyfully love you, and the overflow of that is loving others. May it be so. For our good and for the honor and glory and name and fame of Jesus Christ. Amen.